welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard, I am the Director of ECFR, and this week we're going to talk about the Italian elections. What does the victory of the far-right leader Giorgia Meloni and her brothers of Italy mean for Europe and especially for European foreign policy? In particular, many people are wondering what it means for the war in Ukraine and Italy's approach to Russia. I'm happy to be joined by an all-star cast to help us make sense of these. First up, we have Marta Dassou, who's an ECFR council and board member and senior advisor for Europe at the Aspen Institute and editor-in-chief of Aspenia, as well as being a former deputy minister of foreign affairs in Italy. Also, an ECFR council member is Natalie Tocci, who is the director of the Instituto Affari Internazionali in Rome, as well as being an honorary professor at the University of Tübingen and a former special advisor to many EU high representatives for foreign and external affairs. And finally, we have Arturo Varvelli, who's coming back to the podcast. He's head of ECFR's Rome office and a senior policy fellow. Thank you very much to all of you for joining. Arturo, you've been trying to help us in ECFR make sense of of this election over the last few weeks. Can you just tell us a bit more about what we know about the winners and losers? There's been lots of speculation outside of Italy about Meloni and who she is and her party. What do we know about the the shape of the government that is going to emerge? Thank you, Mark. So the the Italian election provides clear results. The centre-right coalition has a majority in both houses. And uh, Giorgia Meloni, that is the leader of uh, Brothers of Italy, Fratelli d'Italia, probably uh, will be the next Presidente del Consiglio or Premier. And Giorgia Meloni has been the opposition for five years. And over the last 20 years, this is my very brief analysis, Italians have always rewarded outsiders who were in opposition because history repeated itself several times. Berlusconi, Five Star Movement, uh, Matteo Renzi, Matteo Salvini. Italian voters are constantly looking for something new. And Giorgia Meloni was able to capitalize this kind of advantage. And it is also true that the populist or nationalist right is gaining uh, space, room in many countries in, in these years. Even in France, if we look at the recent parliamentary election or in Sweden. Uh, so Italy is, is, is also no, no exception. But if we look at the overall numbers of this election, there has been no real shift to the right in public opinion or better is is very limited. Uh, There has been a shift within the right-wing coalition. Uh, Votes that previously went, for example, to Berlusconi or Salvini have now gone to to Giorgia Meloni. That is the youngest and the newest. Uh, And the problem is that a cohesive coalition has not been created on on the other side, on the left. Also because it's very difficult to think that such different political forces as Five Star Movement or the uh, Calenda and Renzi party can join the the forces uh, with with the Democratic Party. 
uh, one of the of the uh, losers of this election is the Democratic Party. Uh, I think that he, uh, the campaign of the, 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 the Democratic Party was very uncertain because the Democratic Party didn't make a real choice. Um, it did not take the reformist path fully, uh, eliminating any ambiguity with the Five Star Movement on, on one side, but at the same time, um, many party leaders, Democratic Party leaders, continue to, to, to look at, to a future alliance with, with Five Star Movement, with, with Conte. And I think this is one of the main reasons for, for, uh, for uh, uh, this kind of result. Thanks, Arturo. Marta, can you tell us a bit about the election campaign that she ran on? What are the promises that Meloni made about foreign policy? To what extent was it a topic in, in her election campaign? The main, problem she, the main promise she made on foreign policy issues uh, was to be as close as possible to the U.S., so you have to see this right in Italy as a pro-Atlantic one. And this is, this is successful, I think. She's, she has been given reassurances uh, from, from the U.S. At the same time, she told uh, the Italians, uh, the, the Italian public, that she, she's going to change music uh, with Europe, to, to put it this way. So you could have, at the same time, a party uh, which is uh, pro-US and a bit more Eurosceptical, uh, like uh, like Poland, to give you an example. No idea of exiting from the Euro or from the EU, but the idea of uh, raising up stakes uh, with the EU. It could be interesting to understand whether this could be a larger trend, the beginning of a larger trend in the EU, and it would be also interesting to see how much Italy is going to become closer to a country like Poland, uh, which is becoming more important in itself in the EU after the, the Ukrainian war. So that, that will be to be kept into attention. My point is that notwithstanding all these declarations, the fact is that Italy has an enormous external constraint uh, meaning uh, the public debt. So I, I do not see how uh, Italy uh, could avoid making important decisions, especially in the fiscal uh, field. And Meloni is trying to, to, to become uh, serious on this point. Uh, rumors in Rome, for instance, as the, is that Meloni is having uh, many uh, contacts uh, with the Palazzo Chigi already, also with Draghi, and, and before the summer, uh, so as to uh, become more aware, if you wish, of the EU governance uh, uh, issues and the fiscal problems we have and the implementation of the uh, recovery plan. So, I mean, uh, the idea is that she's quite determined not to, not to rock uh, the fiscal side, to put it this way, and my opinion is that from this point of view, uh, Italy is in a sort of unique position. It will be very difficult for her, for her to change line. She will try to, to give concrete reassurances 
especially we have to see who is going to become the Minister for Finance and, and the Budget. Again, if uh, the ECB board member Fabio Panetta becomes uh, Minister for Finance, uh, that would be in itself a reassurance. Clearly, the problem is the consistency or the coherence of the internal coalition. Uh, de facto, Meloni will have to, to deal with a sort of possible internal opposition from the League, uh, since Salvini was in fact a, ma a major loser of this competition. So we, we have to, to see what's going to happen internally uh, within yeah. the coalition, because clearly she, she got 26 of the, of the votes, she needs the coalition. She will have to give something to Berlusconi and to the league, and the league in particular could become the troublemaker. So let's um, let's disaggregate your two points about being Atlanticist and and Eurosceptic, and maybe start with the the kind of foreign policy Atlanticism of it. I mean, as you said, Marta, um, she's not going to be governing alone. She's going to be governing with Berlusconi, who has a track record with Russia, has been quite vocal about Russia recently. The Lega has also been much more um, pro-Russian than the, the European average um, over the last period of time. How do you think that she will kind of thread this particular needle, Natalie, in terms of both her Atlanticism, but also the role that Italy is going to play on, on Ukraine? Because one of the striking things, the three of us, in fact, well, the four of us were together a few months ago, uh, and we'd just done a big opinion poll looking at European attitudes towards Ukraine. And it was very striking how in most countries, the governments were channeling public opinion and were being very anti-Russian. In Italy, uh, the public was much more sceptical about Western approaches towards Russia. A lot of people blame the US for the war, for the fact that there was no resolution uh, to it. And, and Draghi seemed to be going kind of at least ahead of public opinion, if not directly against it. How do you see that developing now that he's gone and that you have this this more sort of ambivalent coalition? Well, Mark, um, so I would I would really make the distinction as as you did between on the one hand um, Italy and the West, uh, which is I think part and parcel of Italy in the context of the Ukraine war. So I think that's kind of one conversation, and the separate one is Italy and, and Europe. Now, on the first, um, or rather, let me put it this way, uh, beginning with Giorgia Meloni herself and how she posi positions herself vis-a-vis -vis the question of um, the West, the transatlantic relationship, including the Ukraine war, and how she posi positions herself vis-a-vis -vis Europe. I would say that the main difference between these two is that whereas on the former, as indeed Martha was highlighting, she genuinely believes in it. Now, she may believe in it for perhaps kind of not necessarily very nice reasons, which is kind of, you know, we, the white and Christian West. Uh, uh, so I think it's, it's kind of part of a conversation which then also ties in with, you know, issues such as migration, for example. But, but regardless of the reasons, there is a kind of genuine commitment to the West. She doesn't genuinely believe in Europe. She is genuinely a Eurosceptic and a nationalist. But on the European side of the story, I think it's more a question not so much of what she believes in, but what are 
the constraining factors, uh, the context, which basically will not enable her to be her, let me say, true self. And they are issues uh, that have already been touched on, the unsustainability of uh, the Italian debt and the the concern of a speculative attack uh, on Italy, if indeed she gives signals of actually not being uh, sort of uh, credible. Uh, there is the fact that we are not in a sovereign debt crisis. We are in a post-pandemic Europe that gives Italy money rather than takes it away through austerity uh, policies. And therefore, unless you're completely dumb, you know, you kind of, you, you play it safe, basically, on, on, on Europe. We're not in a migration crisis in which you can hype up the migration story. So there are a number of constraining factors, which mean that although as opposed to the West story, there, I would say, you know, there isn't a genuine commitment to Europe, but on the Europe side, there are all these kind of constraining factors that really have to do with context. Then there's the other side of, you know, the other part of your question, which is, yes, but it's not only her, right? I mean, she's in a coalition, and, and what about Salvini and Berlusconi? And as you put it, what about Italian public opinion more broadly, uh, especially as regards uh, the, the Russia and the war in Ukraine? Well, there I would say that, well, firstly, let's not forget that these two uh, gentlemen lead parties that were in, that are in government now. I mean, they were both coalition members of Draghi's government. Uh, and so the fact of being members of a future coalition government with their vote size actually having been, especially in the case of the League, more than halved, you know, sort of says something about how much influence they're going to have uh, on, on the government. You know, if we had been with an electoral result in which there, would, they, there hadn't been such a kind of uh, shift of the vote within the right, and if we would have been in a scenario in which Meloni on the one hand and Salvini Berlusconi on the other were more or less equal, I think those sort of centrifugal forces that you were hinting at would have probably dominated the scene. Um, but, but we're not in that scenario. You know, we are in a scenario in which basically she mainly has leverage. Um, the last point that I would highlight on this, which connects to, yes, but, you know, public opinion wants something else. Yes, you're right. But the distinction that I would make between, for instance, Meloni and Salvini is that whereas they are both right, in fact, they're both hard right, I would say, um, Salvini is a populist. She is not. So I wouldn't define Brothers of Italy as being a populist party. I would define it as being a nationalist right party, but not also a populist party. So, you know, if she believes in something, and I think, you know, she does have, as opposed to the European story, she does have genuine beliefs vis-a-vis -vis the question of Russia, vis-a-vis -vis the question of, of the war. I don't think that she's simply going to turn where the wind is going. Uh, so far, at least in opposition, you know, she could have very easily played a very different game, and she didn't. She held a very strong and firm position on, on Russia. So I actually don't expect her to change on this. Okay. So um, when I was in Brussels a couple of weeks ago, people uh, were quietly terrified of the Italian elections. <laughs> and they said it's difficult enough for us to, to get anything done with Orban around the table. but what it you know what if um uh you get a kind of italian all ban um around the table so not necessarily a total spoiler but somebody who's willing to to basically weaponize 
whatever's on the agenda to get extractions uh, to to extract compromises on different issues and who generally acts as a sort of break on European unity in different ways and is, is sort of playing uh, around with with the European agenda for national advantage. And they're worried, uh, obviously, that, that this could be a growing trend as well, but that, that Meloni could make that a lot worse. Is that something which you think uh, they're right to be worried about? And what kinds of issues, if, if they're not going to be blocking, um, you know, sanctions on Russia or necessarily, you know, able to, to, to walk away from the constraints on macroeconomic policy, what kinds of things might they do which, which uh, would be threatening to the European agenda? Don't know who wants to answer that, Arturo, Marta, Natalie. I really agree very, very much uh, with Natalie. I think she's perfectly right. So, uh, for for what concerns foreign and security policy issues, I do not see uh, Italy as a sort of a Hungary writ large, because she's right. Uh, she 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 believes in that. Uh, she she already shown that uh, through his her role in opposition. So I don't see it as a testing ground uh, for Italy. Uh, second, uh, we we already uh, alluded to that uh, myself and, and Natalie. Italy uh, has very serious uh, constraints. So uh, I think that what remains are identity issues, migration issues in case they rise again, uh, the future for Europe conference, this kind of of issues, uh, the majority voting perhaps uh, since. She has in mind a confederation of nation states as a sort of a mental scheme uh, for the future of the European Union. But I do not see a, a real chance that Italy becomes a troublemaker on, on the other grounds I was just mentioning, and not even on the, on the energy and, and climate issues. Uh, it is true that Meloni is not a a climate change fan as a as a mindset uh, she's much more in favor of a very serious energy policy but this is a, a, a an issue on which she has been expressing herself saying that after all the european union needs to take common decisions like the famous cap on on prices so or, or on on very important issues Italy will go along, in my view, on uh, on another set of issues, if you wish, less central, in a sense, or, or hopefully less central to the life of the of the current union. Uh, she she could become uh, a, a a tough negotiator. And what happens to the politics in the different EU institutions at the moment? I mean, a few months ago. People were talking about this kind of big centre-left revival in Europe. You'd seen uh, new governments coming in from from uh, the centre-left in, in lots of different countries, in Germany, um, in Sweden, uh, in Denmark, uh, in Finland. And the, uh, the control which the European People's Party had on the European agenda seemed to be on the wane. And you had a kind of centre-left majority between the, the Social Democrats and the, the Liberal uh, group, which Macron was becoming an increasingly active leader of. 
the last few elections have pushed things in a somewhat different direction. In Sweden, they're moving more towards the the right. You're going to see um, probably a new government in Bulgaria quite soon. The Danes are having elections. It could also move towards the right. And then Italy is obviously going to play a very different role. And 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 Meloni has also been quite active um, in building the links. I mean, we started out with the talk you, you had of Poland and the ECR group. I mean, how how does this new government feed into the the kind of balance of power between different political forces, both in the European Council, but also the European Parliament? What does it mean for the European Commission? So perhaps, Mark, on, on this, um, well, firstly, I think, in general, I would say that I'm not sure that the votes in Sweden and Italy, indeed, you're right, let's see what happens in Denmark and elsewhere, but I'm not sure that these two votes alone signal a new kind of wave, a new tide of the right in Europe. Um, I definitely don't read the Italian vote as a vote to the right. You actually look at the numbers and the right did not actually gain more than they did last time round, frankly speaking, uh, or much more than they did last time round. So it's been a sort of readjustment of, uh, of votes within the right rather than a shift to the right. And it was, in a sense, a kind of mathematical certainty, given the electoral law and given the fact that on the right there was a coalition and on the centre and, and the left there were three groups that the right would have won. The question was the extent of, of, of that victory. So I, I don't think that Italy marks a trend. This is in general as far as, you know, the, the shift, you know, the pendulum swinging to the right. As for specifically the European Council, um, you know, if you are no longer uh, the lead, just the leader of a party, but you're the prime minister of a country that considers itself to be a kind of, you know, big and important member state, founding member of the European Union, you kind of don't really want to hang out just with the pariah in the group. Uh, it would be kind of pretty lonely <laughs> in the European Council if Meloni hangs out with, with Orban. So, you know, if she is smart, and, you know, she may be many things, but I don't think she's stupid, um, she will necessarily have to, uh, you know, sort of, Build relationships, perhaps not perhaps not particularly comfortable ones, but certainly build relationships with Macron, with Schultz, uh, with uh, Sanchez, etc. Now, if she's also smart, um, something else that she might do uh, is actually something rather interesting, which is build on the fact that she does have relations uh, with specific uh, uh, Eastern European countries, and this kind of interlocks with the broader debate of is the central of gravity moving to the east. And she may actually use uh, that those assets that she has. I'm thinking here particularly about Poland. So let's forget Hungary for a moment, but particularly about Poland, uh, to try and see if there are you know, different forms of kind of, you know, coalitions and alliances to be built there on specific issues. So I think one does not rule out the other. And as I said, if you put yourself in the shoes not just of a party leader, um, but of a prime minister, that is the kind of game that you would want to play. And what issues do you think you could see them working together on, on migration, on China? I mean, what could be the issues that unite Poland and Hungary? Uh, sorry, Poland and Italy. Well, I would say, I think certainly sort of the security and defence story in a very NATO uh, uh, sort of, you know, 
uh, in a very NATO dimension. So kind of, you know, that yes, pushing for more defense, but making sure that anything that, you, that Europe does, that the European Union does, is complementary too. So that's kind of, you know, one set of uh, issues. Another, of course, is, is migration uh, and the whole sort of, you know, strengthening of border management. Mind you, I think, you know, she's going to have probably quite an easy time with France as well on that particular <laughs> question. Uh, um, so, you know, you, you, could, you could imagine uh, issues concerning security and defense, concerning migration. And then I think is the point that Martha was making. So, you know, what this government means is that European integration, meaning the kind of push forward on European integration, has kind of lost an important leader. Uh, in, in Mario Draghi. Uh, and, and that we're not getting back very clearly. Uh, and so I do think that there, you know, that there isn't going to be a kind of, you know, Meloni blocking, but certainly there's going to be Meloni not pushing things forward on a number of issues. And she may have, you know, sort of a number of other countries to work with in that respect. So we're coming to the end of the time, Arturo. Maybe you can talk a bit about this question of personnel. Ma- Marta mentioned... Uh, the choice of the finance minister as being a very symbolic one, and she mentioned the name um, of, uh, of Panetta. Who are the other personnel going to be if there is a Meloni government? Who do we expect to be sitting in the foreign ministry? Who's going to be going to Brussels? So will they change the European commissioner, or does um, the current commissioner serve out his term? Yeah, Mark. There are there are some some names uh, about the the possible uh, foreign ministry. Uh, one is is uh, the ambassador Giulio Terzi di Sant'Agata, that is a former ministry uh, during the Monti government. I think he he he, he is uh, now elected with Brothers of Italy, but sure is 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 not uh, is not affiliated to the party in some way. Uh, share some some ideas, but uh, is uh, it was was a good a good ambassador. Uh, another name is Antonio uh, um, Tajani, for example, uh, that is a former European Parliament president, uh, very close to to Berlusconi. Uh, another one is uh, Stefano Pontecorvo, the ambassador Stefano Pontecorvo, the Italian a long Italian diplomat and former NATO uh, senior civilian representative for Afghanistan. Uh, and so, in um, Massolo, uh, that is our council member, is another name circulating any time. So we 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 are we are uh, uh, forming a new uh, a, a new government. I think that it it will be very important uh, looking uh, this position to understand uh, uh, how Italy. How Italian government could evolve in the in the next futures, because I think that Meloni could continue to align with with, for example, with the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, or take a more institutional and moderate path and pursue a sort of more conservative political line in in a more traditional sense. And 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 what will happen to Salvini? Is he going to be Interior Minister again? <laughs> no, I don't no, think I so. This is this is a key yeah this is a key problem within the coalition that Salvini lost heavily as Natalie was rightly mentioning uh, that has been a, a readjustment of uh, balances within the right and center right and so the league will have to deal with the Salvini issue I don't know how I don't know when uh, they are 
a rather vertical party, if you wish, so it will not be easy. But still, Salvini has suffered an heavy, heavy loss. So I, I don't know, he was defeated. He's come. At this point, I don't see Salvini as a, as a rising star. Uh, star, may I mention uh, one last point, Mark, on my side? Uh, the first party, indeed, is the party of, of, of abstention. And this could mark a trend instead. Uh, while I, I agree again with with Natalie, we always agree, Natalie. <laughs> no, no point in discussing among us. But I mean, uh, while uh, this this is not a trend, Italy for the rest of Europe, this abstention could could be a trend. Uh, one fundamental reason why people didn't go is that they do not have any trust uh, in in either party, in, in either coalitions, or, or simply. They think that there is nothing to do or something like that. But in any case, it is not a, a, a lesser degree of voting. It's a flight from ballots, if you wish. A, a, a very new phenomenon in Italy. So this, is, this has to be kept under, under consideration. There is a, a huge amount of the Italian opinion uh, which is totally disaffected uh, with, with policy making and with electoral results. So we coming to the very end of our time, we've got one last thing to do with our bookshelf segment. But before we do that, just in case people are interested, you all mentioned Berlusconi a lot. Are people to expect a, a return to government for this um, uh, vampire-like figure that constantly <laughs> seems to come back in? Or, or is the Berlusconi era completely ended now? No, it's impossible to imagine him with uh, with the ministerial position. I mean, at most you could imagine, uh, you know, something like, you know, chairing the Senate or something like that. But certainly not a ministerial position, which also, though, means that if she ends up making the choice that the leaders of parties, be it Salvini because she doesn't want him, be it Berlusconi because he's dead in the water, um, but then, question mark, does this also include Tajani? Not that he's dead in the water, but does this also rule out of figures like Tajani? I mean, it would be interesting to see whether that is a criterion that ends up then affecting the choice of, of government. You could have a populist election result with a technocratic government. <laughs> Part of that <laughs> will be technocratic. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll all watch this space. Thank you very much for helping people make sense of it and to, to work out what we should be looking for as the new government takes shape. Can we just uh, ask one final question, which is what's the timetable for this? By when are we expecting this new government to be in place? November. Okay. All right, we've got one thing left to do on this podcast, which is our bookshelf segment. What's on your bookshelf, Arturo? Uh, there is a book by, by Martin Bull. That is Italy transform politics, society, and institution at the end of the Great Recession. That is a book is a sort of explainer um, for for not Italians uh, that are trying to understand Italian politics and a, a, a series of crises we are experiencing. So I think this is very, very, very useful. Great. What about you, Natalie? I have just finished rereading Tim Snyder's Bloodlands, uh, which I think in the context of the war really is, uh, I mean, it's a classic, but it's a must-read classic, I think, once again at this point in time. And um, Marta? 
I just finished a book by Natalie, <laughs> a global, a green and global Europe, or vice versa, which is a, wonderful. <laughs> which is going to Wasn't be about, great. <laughs> which is about the way in which the Ukrainian crisis has been impacting on the energy transition in Europe. A very interesting one, and uh, and another one by an Italian writer. Giuliano da Empoli, Le Marche du Kremlin, Il Mago del Cremlino, very interesting fiction about the role of the major advisor to Mr. Putin. Uh, must read both of them. Fantastic. We'll put links up to all the publications we mentioned on our website at ecfr.eu. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do subscribe to it on whatever platform you've used to download it from. And while you're there, it would be much appreciated if you could give us a positive review and a five-star rating because it helps bring other guests to the podcast. But from now, from Arturo Varvelli, Natalie Tocci, Marta Dassou, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of this podcast is Lucy Halpenthal, and the editor of this episode is Marlene Rieden. Thank you.